My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, as we jump into the book of Acts, I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever heard of the homogeneous unit principle? Okay, good. All right. Thank you. Um, Okay, well, here's the deal. Donald McGavern was a third generation missionary to India. And he eventually became what is known as the father of the modern church growth movement. He believed very strongly that people come to faith in Jesus more easily with those around them who are similar to them. This is how he stated it. He said this, which is on the screen. There we go. People like to become Christians without crossing racial, linguistic, or class barriers. The world's population is a mosaic, and each piece has a separate life of its own that seems strange and unlovely to men and women in other places, okay? Now, basically what he's saying is is that we like people from our social group. We feel comfortable people with people in our racial group. We feel most at ease in those that uh, are part of our own cultural background. In other words... I feel most comfortable with people who are like me. How, how many of you would say that is remotely true for your life? Good, okay, all right, I think that's just a truth. Now, unfortunately, what was once a description of sociology became a prescription for church and salvation. Because although this is generally true, if you just work this to its extreme, this is horrible. Because What ended up happening in the 70s and 80s and on in the church growth movement is that people said you could more easily reach people like you, so just go reach people like you. But you know what that does? That creates some kind of separation or a segregated church, a segregated world, because God has called us to reach people who are not like us. In fact, uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Now, did you know, and I've heard this, but I had to do the research, that Portland is the whitest city in America. Portland. Portland. Whitest big city. 74% of the population of Portland is Caucasian. That's larger than any other percentage of a large city in the United States, which just seems kind of striking and odd. You know, as a kid that grew up in California, a very multiracial cultural group, um, I don't think that's what we see at Sunrise. I really don't. Uh, I'll show you, you know, a little bit of stats about where we live and, and our neck of the woods. But the fact is, is that one of the changes I had to make as pastor many, many years ago was to realize this and to realize that I feel most comfortable with people like me. And yet that's not what God's called me to, to really be about. And so I had to do what 
you know, I, I talk about, I've preached about it before I share on our staff, this idea of walking across the room. And it's this principle I've taught my sons. You know, I, I just, just share it with as many people as possible. I, talked, I taught it yesterday to church down south that I was doing a health assessment with. And I said, you know, when you enter a room with people, I said, here's the principle. Find the person that's least like you and go say hi. It's that easy. It's not rocket science. You don't even have to write this down, okay? It's that easy. Find the person that's least like you. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, maybe they're uh, opposite sex, or maybe they're opposite race, or a different language, or you're short and they're tall, or vice versa, or you're, you're large and they're skinny, or vice versa. Or you just feel like, you know, maybe there is a barrier there. It could be a sexual identity barrier. It could be maybe the way a person looks or the way they talk. Find the person, you know, and I'm not asking you to sit there and analyze everybody with your special glasses, you know what I mean? Uh, Uh, like the Terminator might do. But I mean, just the idea is that just, you know, or Predator or whatever generation you come from, um, just, just kind of look around and see someone not like you and just go make a beeline and just go welcome them. That's what I had to do. I had to just get out of my comfort zone and welcome someone who was just different than me. Now, if I greeted you this morning, that doesn't mean that you're odd. I'm odd, okay? I, I, just, I just make it a practice. And I want to say, say this in all humility, but I've realized, and I've come to realize, that in many of the rooms I walk into, I'm the most powerful person that walks in the room. Uh, yesterday at this meeting with all these church leaders, I was the most powerful person. I'm a leader of a denomination, as it is, you know, in the Northwest, as people would see it. I, I walk into any room at sunrise. I'm the most powerful person in the room. I walk into meetings even with the city, and I have influence that has been gathered and gained throughout the years. It's up to us to leverage that influence for the gospel. And so whatever room you walk into, you have an influence there. Maybe it's not the highest. Maybe it's, it's any, it could be the lowest. It doesn't matter. But if you have any influence at all, which I believe comes with relationship, then you go make a beeline for someone who's just different than you because odds are they feel different. And when they walk into this room and see people not like themselves for whatever reason, they feel a little different, a little insecure, a little out of place. And so we walk across the room because that's what God did for us. Jesus walked out of heaven onto the earth to reach us, not the other way around, right? And so I started practicing that, and we started talking about that, and, and I think that actually comes from the challenges we have as people. I think that we all struggle reaching across cultural, racial, segregation bounds, and even the early church struggled with it. The very first followers of Jesus Christ wrestled with what you wrestle with in your own world. Because the very beginning of the book of Acts, God had told them everywhere that you were to go out. In fact, this is the great commission as it's said in the book of Acts. Take a look at this in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be, you will be my witnesses. That's the, the whole theme of this series of Acts. Basically, you're telling people what you've seen and heard. That's it. You're not making up a story. You're not going to Bible college and telling a story. You're just telling people what you've seen and heard, what you've experienced. You're an eyewitness. And so you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is the commission Jesus gives. You know, he said before in Matthew that we are to make disciples. We're to go make disciples, baptize and teach 
the whole, all the nations, right? And that's the idea here. Now, not only did Jesus give this commission as, uh, you know, the direction to go, he actually gave the, the map on how to do it, which is so cool because you take a look at this. Uh, it starts in Jerusalem. This is uh, my made-up version of a little part of the land of Israel. It starts in Jerusalem. That was the, the epicenter of all things religious, the temple, and now Christianity following Jesus. Then Judea, go out there. That's like the countryside. That would be like our county. You know, like this would be Hillsboro if you live in Hillsboro, Washington County, you know, and then, then Samaria. That's what we're going to talk about today, which is a different people group, a cultural, a religious group, a, a language group, a, just a different group. And then to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles, which we're going to see next week. This is not just what Jesus said. It's, it's a roadmap of how to do it. In other words, Jesus says, hey, I just want you to take everything you've heard and seen in me and go out and tell your friends. Go out and tell your family. Go out and tell all the people you know. And then go out to people you don't know out in the countryside. Go walk in the towns and find people. Go to the highways and byways and just compel them to come in. And then I want you to go to people that are not like you. Maybe there's a different bit of culture or language, a little maybe different color skin or just different background, religiously, whatever. Uh, And then you cross over there. And then I want you to go to anywhere you can go. I want you to go everywhere. I want you to go to the ends of the earth because that's as far as my gospel is going to go until I come back again. And I'm putting it on you to do that. And my friends, this is not a commission for missionaries. You know what this is? This is a commission for you and for me. Every believer in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus started it all when he came up to a group of men and he said to them these simple words. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I'm a firm believer that if you're not fishing, you're not following. You can call yourself a Christian and you can go to church. But if you want to follow Jesus, you'll be a fisher of men. And that means you're going to go out and reach people that are far from God. So in the first, you know, part of the book of Acts, and Pastor Taylor wrapped it up last week in a beautiful way, we've seen the church in Jerusalem and and, and in Judea, but it's been safe in a religious culture. And with the persecution uh, and the death of Stephen, one of that, one of those first uh, servants, deacons, we'd say, um, all of a sudden, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus from the beginning, they ratcheted up their persecution, and now they have free reign to do anything they want to do to followers of Christ. And you got to, got to get this. And don't forget this. For the first 100, 125 years, Christianity was a subset of Judaism. Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. Now, on the Jewish side, it was seen as a false belief, a a heresy of this. But it was Jewish people that became followers of Jesus because Jesus was Jewish, okay? All right, so if you're a white supremacist here today, I just have some good news for you. Jesus was a Middle Eastern person, okay? So Jesus had dark skin. He was probably shorter than you, and he was a Jew. And he thought like a Jew and acted like a Jew and grew up in a Jewish culture. And every one of the early followers of Jesus were Jews. Until the Gentiles became Christ followers. And then the tension began. And ultimately, about 125 or so, there was an edict that you were no longer any connection to Judaism. But up to this point, the Jews had to squelch this false cult that was growing amongst its ranks. You see, that's what they thought. This false Messiah. We'd had false messiahs. This false Messiah. We got to stop it. And so they were hell-bent, literally, on stopping anything about Jesus. And you couldn't stop Jesus or his followers. How you stopped Jesus, but that didn't stop anything. That just exploded the thing around the world. And so with this persecution began this amazing blessing of God. 
Now that just is odd for us to think about. But in the most persecuted seasons of the church and around the world today, the gospel thrives and it just explodes. You read that in the first 300 years of the church and it's unbelievable to see this because all they were doing was doing what Jesus said to do, to go to every nation, every tribe, every race, every group of people. Jesus' mission has always been for people like you and for me to step out of our comfort zone and reach a different people group. That's where the term missionary came, one who is sent on a mission. And you are a missionary in your neighborhood. You are a missionary in your school. You are a missionary in your workplace. You know, you're a missionary everywhere you go. Winco, you're a missionary because you are sent on a mission as God sent Jesus. Jesus sent us. Now, the struggle, though, is why didn't they do this? Because if you take a look at this map, I, I put this together about a week ago or so. Uh, that's Hillsborough. That's, that's my little city there. That circle is 42 miles. That's a 42-mile circle and um, on all sides. And you go, why? What does that mean? Well, do you know that Samaria was 42 miles from Jerusalem? That's not that far. Anybody been to Seaside lately, Tillamook Cheese Factory? Have you seen the new cheese factory? If not, leave right after service, okay? Just after I preach. The last couple songs aren't that good anyway. Just go, you know? <laughs> just teasing. Take your kids. No. Um, any, anybody, uh, you know, been over on the east side? Anybody been to Mount Hood? You know, it's a good place to ski, right? You, you, anybody been down to Salem? I was past Salem this week, okay? Yesterday, it took me an hour and eight minutes driving the back roads. Okay, now why I show you this it took them five to eight years based on the chronology to get there. And it wasn't because they couldn't walk that far. <laughs> People walked everywhere. It was not uncommon to walk north and south from Jerusalem all the way up to the Galilee and completely bypass the whole Samaritan area. So 42 miles was not a trek, all right? It was a normal journey. But you know why it took them five to eight years to go that far? It was a heart issue. It's really what it was. It was a heart issue. It was a racial issue. It was a racism issue. That's really what it was. And uh, we struggle with that from the very beginning as followers of Christ. They lost their mission. They got out of their comfort zone. So we're going to jump back into the story. We're going to see it. We're going to process through a few really cool things we see here. And then I want to wrap it up by asking you about your world and where you live. So it says in Acts chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1 to 3, it says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, that's interesting, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Again, that's that countryside, and then into the first non-Jewish group of people. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. That was Pastor Taylor's message last week about Stephen's death. But Saul, who is going to become Paul here in a moment's notice, was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, after Stephen was killed, the Jewish leaders, not the Jewish people, okay, Christianity is not anti-Semitic, but the Jewish leaders had a lot to lose, and those were the ones that conspired to crucify Christ. The Jewish leaders ratcheted up their persecution. And from a human perspective, this was a horrible turn of events because the church, which had been safe and secure, exploding in Jerusalem, meeting in the temple courts day by day and homes day by day, having fellowship and doing all that stuff in Acts 2.42, we saw they were there. They were safe. They're no longer safe. And now they have to scatter. They have to move out. But from God's perspective, it produced an incredible blessing because it was only through persecution that they first started obeying the length and the breadth and the depths of the Great Commission. 
fact, God was forcing them to go out and follow the words of Jesus. I want you to note a couple words here. These are kind of cool little geeky things here. It says here, uh, uh, all except the apostles were scattered. That word scattered is the word related to seed, like a farmer would go out and scatter some seed. That's kind of cool because it's a beautiful picture of the word of God being sown out into increasing places. Isn't that cool? The people had to be scattered so that the word of God could be scattered. That's cool. That's a good thing, that the word of God, the message of Jesus would be planted out in other places. That's what Jesus told us to do. And secondly, it says here that Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. That word destroy was used in the culture. It's a cool word. It was used to uh, explain what a wild boar would do when they would get into someone's vineyard. They would just destroy that thing. In, in fact, it's such a beautiful picture of what Saul was doing that his intent was to go in as a wild boar and rip it all to shreds. About 1,500 years later, uh, Martin Luther was the wild boar in the vineyard. Uh, and that's how he was referenced because of this, this passage and this idea. That Saul's dream was to shut it down. Just, if we could just kill every one of those people, we can stop this Jesus freak thing from spreading, right? But what's fascinating about this to me What's fascinating is this very guy who was on a mission to stop the church within days, months, not very long after this, would receive Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. And I think what an amazing thing to think about. The guy that was the most against, the least likely guy to be voted as a follower of Jesus in the high school yearbook, you know? The person in the company who's, who's not the follower of Jesus employee of the month, you know? The least likely guy within just a short moment would become the most passionate, ardent, not just follower of Jesus, but proclaimer of Jesus. I love that, which is a reminder for me always to never give up on people. Never give up. The person in your midst, the person maybe in your family, the person, you know, at your business or school, the person in your neighborhood, you know the jerk I'm talking about. And if you brought him here, they know, they know they're the jerk, you know. The person least likely to follow Jesus just might be moments away from following Jesus. Never give up on anybody, my friends. God didn't give up on you. He didn't give up on me. It says, but as the believers were scattered, the next part it says, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. It says, Philip, for example, one of the other original uh, servants, the deacons, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. It's funny because you probably sit here and go, my job is to preach the message, right? That's what you pay me to do. That's what you pay Taylor to do. That's what you pay us to do, right? Anybody that preaches here, Shane or Francis or Kevin, we're paying us to preach the word of God. Do you know that everybody went out and preached? That every follower of Jesus became a preacher of the gospel? Don't leave that to your pastors. Don't write a check to your missionaries and expect them to do the work that God has called every one of us to do. Every follower of Jesus, as they were scattered out like seed, they took it upon themselves to become preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, it is easy to go to church and think that that's not your mission. That's not your message. You know, these, this is a little harsh, these consumers of the gospel, good people, we're we're good people, you know, good churchgoers, they, they were Good people, no disrespect. But they move from being consumers of the gospel to being contributors for the gospel. 
They actually took the gospel themselves. They didn't just wait for their pastor to do it or a missionary to do it. They didn't wait for the apostles to do it. In fact, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. What was once the passion and heartbeat at this season for every follower of Christ was to look out to their unsaved neighbors, their unsaved friends, co-workers, classmates, and tell them about Jesus. And unfortunately, at least I, I know this in, in our world in the United States, um, the average follower of Christ doesn't share the gospel. The statistics are, are just horrifying that the single digits of those who share with even one person in a year, they talk about Jesus. They share what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. And we let other people preach the gospel. I, I, I hope you're not just a consumer of the gospel, but I hope you're a contributor for the gospel and you are out there sharing the message. I think it's so easy to become inward focused and busy with church stuff that we think that's why God called us. But he didn't call us to be church people. He called us to be disciples and he gave us a mission and not to fill our lives with preaching and prayers and programs, but a pathway of being a disciple that makes disciples. Philip, one of the original of those deacons, took the gospel to Samaria. My friends, this was the first time recorded in the book of Acts when the message of Jesus stretched across a culture, stretched across a race of people. The Jewish people were raised to believe that the Samaritans were dirty, filthy pigs. The, the Jews were raised to believe that the mortal enemy was the Samaritans. There's a lot of reasons for that. Historical reasons when people were ripped out of Israel in 722 BC with the Assyrians and all stuff. And you can read about it. There, there are things that the Samaritans did. Uh, just to, I think it's about, about the birth of Jesus. About 30 years before Jesus uh, died, the Samaritans came into the temple and spread dead pig bodies all over just before the Passover. So they made the temple unclean. And, you know, it was, it was worse than college pranks. You know what I mean? It wasn't just stealing a, you know, another fraternity sorority's mascot. This was blood, you know. And, and there was good reason for the Jewish people to hate the Samaritans, for the Samaritans to hate the Jews. But that was not God reasons. That was man reasons. That was heart reasons. And this is the first time the first time the gospel spread across. Because again, you got to get it. The gospel has no room for racism. Your heart has no room for racism. You are not superior than anyone else. We are all made in the image of God. It says here in uh, verses 14 to 17, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. Those are the apostles. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. That's actually really odd. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, it's really weird to be frank. Um, because this is one of those obscure but yet bizarre passages in the book of Acts. What we don't see everywhere, but we see here, is that for the, this time they had received Jesus and had been baptized, but the Holy Spirit had not come upon them as he had in other times and in the rest of the book of Acts in today. But in, in everything I read, probably the reason is that the apostles, who were the, like the accreditation board, coming in, checking it out, left to check it out, and then you know, gave the approval. This is the first time it stretched across a group of people, and they had to come and see this, and they prayed for them. The Holy Spirit comes upon these people, and then from then on in the book of Acts, just like today, you receive Jesus Christ as your personal, your Lord and Savior, and then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. You're baptized, and you are complete. And so what ended up happening was that the apostles 
had to get out of their comfort zones. And if, if it took this, it took this to get them out there. And look what it says in verse 25. It says, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. This is when they had to break through their cultural barriers, their racial hatred. That's when they had to get out of their comfort zone. They were forced to go on a mission as apostles to do an apostle job. And on along the way back, they stopped and preached the gospel. And if you've read any of the stories of Jesus, and you remember that one about Jesus sitting at a well, and he was tired, and he was thirsty. It was the middle of the day, and a woman came out and gave him some water. It's a Samaritan woman. Jesus had to go to Samaria, John 4, and he took the disciples through there. It's not where they would want to go. I'm sure they didn't get a mama note to go there because mamas wouldn't let their boys go through Samaria. And they took them there. They went into the town to find food. A whole story told. That whole village heard about Jesus and many, many more. They came and they saw what Jesus had done and they believed, not just because the woman said so, but because they had experienced Jesus himself. And now, all these years later, the apostles are doing the very same work. I think that's a big, big deal. Now, so what? Good history, James. Nice little church moment there. Who, who is across the room from you in any way, shape, or form? Who's different from you? Who's maybe a little odd? Don't point, because I just saw somebody point my question beforehand. So... Who's just a little bit different? And God loves them. And who are we to say that they're different, right? I mean, I'm not denying any biblical standards. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that we see with our eyes. And we were raised in a culture. And we were raised with beliefs. And we were raised with norms and standards that may or may not reflect the Bible. But we've just been raised that way, right? They're not anti-God. They're just... It's our culture, right? God is wanting us to reach out of our culture, to reach people who are different from us, who are far from God, who need to know God. Because that's the message of the gospel of Jesus. The good news would be preached to all the nations. I I think this could still happen today. I think it happens around the world. I think it still needs to happen in America in many ways. There needs to be racial reconciliation. The gospel needs to reign over just all of the challenges of our culture and of our world? Could it be that maybe in your heart you've written off someone? Maybe could it be in your heart you kind of pull back from a certain person or group of people? Could you look out and see a person that's really far from God for whatever reason and um, see that they're loved by God and make a a stretch to them? I shared this uh, a while back, but um, I was at the Harley store looking for some parts for my bike and, and I was waiting at the counter there and I was looking at a magazine and, and uh, it was kind of cool. They were just talking about rides and things like that. And then there was a, a section on a page and it had uh, biker-friendly bars and I'm looking through that. I, I, don't, I don't drink, you know, in that way, but it's like I'm looking at biker-friendly bars. If I want to find bikers, go to a biker bar, right? And I thought, that's kind of cool. That these are where bikers are welcome. And I thought, why aren't there biker-friendly churches listed in that magazine? Because bikers should be welcome. And I, I know we are. We're a small subset and we're judged. Right? I understand that. But that's okay. But what would it look like for us to be the whatever friendly church? You, you pick it. I'm not saying we lower any biblical standards. I'm saying that we are welcoming to every person because every person has been made in the image of God and is loved by God dearly. Yes, the Bible has rules, standards. Yes, no, Absolutely. But let's not go out there and say that first. Let's go out there and show our lives first 
and bring them in and teach them what Jesus said. Let God clean people up. Let's just go fish, right? Let's not clean the fish before we catch them, right? That's God's job to clean the fish. Sorry. All right. I'm not even a fisherman. No one is irredeemable, my friends. No one is irredeemable. Um, If Samaria can be reached, then you and I can be reached. It's a good thing. The gospel must lead to racial reconciliation. Uh, The Jews and Samaritans hated one another. But Jesus removes hate from our hearts. And he turns that into love. The gospel tears down barriers and turns enemies into friends. And does it for races and entire communities. You know, it says in Samaria there, there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine that? The city had great joy because the Jewish people were scattered. And a guy like Philip took the message, right? Um, When we stop hating people and start loving people, when we stop turning from our selfishness and start turning to others and serve them, I think people stand up and take notice. When those outside our church see us stepping out of our own comfort and culture zone, we love other people, Jesus shows up in increasing ways. Um, We moved into this place and if you've been at Sunrise a long time, you're one of the old timers. Uh, yes. Um, we were in a residential area, and, uh, which looked pretty much like us. And we moved into a Renko station, which didn't quite look like us. But in the 10 plus years we've been here, everything has changed. Everything has changed. I, I mentioned Imago uh, at, at, when I was talking to G, but uh, Rick, Pastor Rick's a friend of mine, and in, in part of uh, my doctoral work, you know, we were talking about how the face of that community changed completely around the building. I was saying the same thing true here. The half-mile radius completely changed around Sunrise Church in 10 years. And we had to wake up and go, well, we don't look like the people around us anymore, and they're not here. Something's wrong. We've been called here. We've been planted here. We need to go there to get them here, right? We need to go out to get people in. And um, this is the changing face of Hillsborough. This is uh, latest statistics. I've got uh, U.S. statistics from 2017. Population of Hillsborough, 102,000, um, which is larger than Beaverton. It's going to be the fourth largest city. We are set to grow at least until the year 2035. Unbelievable. Buy a house now. Um, that kind of thing. Unbelievable. But this is the makeup, the ethnic composition of Hillsborough. Uh, in 2000, this survey was done for our Hillsborough 20. Uh, 20 and 2035 update, and uh, it was uh, more than that, but, but this is the changing face. So 58% in Hillsborough proper, um, Caucasian, 23% Hispanic, Latino, 11.5% Asian, Asian Indian, two or more races, about five, black or African American, 1.65, Hawaiian, Pacific Islanders, they'll be at the 11 o'clock service, um, 0.53, we, we have a big contingency. Uh, other race, uh, American Indian, Alaskan Native, you know, under 1%. But that's, that's what Hillsboro looks like. Does sunrise look like that? It didn't, it didn't. We were predominantly white, 98% Caucasian. And we had to go on a mission to reach people far from us. And we had to just find creative ways to go out of our comfort zone and build relationships with people that were just different from us. We sat down a couple weeks ago as a staff, and, and I said, what are the nations represented at Sunrise? And I put this on Facebook, and I got some loving corrections because I forgot some people. I just didn't remember, didn't know. And so this is, what, this is what Sunrise looks like. Take a look at this. These are the nations that show up at sunrise. This is crazy. Look at this. Canada, we, we actually have Canadians here. Isn't They're the nicest people. They're the nicest people in the room. There's no doubt about that. Uh, U.S., Mexico, Guatemala, Belize. I mean, on down south, Haiti, Puerto Rico, 
um, you, you go to East and West Africa, North there in Egypt, got Rwanda right there. Uh, you, got, you got some European countries there. Over, over there in uh, Asia, and you got Russia and, and those. You, you go over into the, the islands down there. That's amazing. Now, if I, if I didn't get you, please correct me. I would love to update this slide for next week. That'd be great. Just kindly write on a card, what's up with you, James? This is where I'm from, okay? Now, you know, just let me know. I'd love to update this because this thrills my heart, friends. That God has so blessed our community, brought in so many various groups of people from all around the world, that in many ways, going to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth means going across the city. It means going to Costco, right? It means going to the library. It means going to the park playing pickleball, right? It means going to school. It means going to work and walking down the hallway to another group. It's a beautiful thing. Now, yeah, we're still called to go, but a lot of us going, we could just go just by going right here within a moment's notice. It wouldn't even take a tank of gas to get there, right? It would not even be 42 miles. It'd be like 4.2 miles to get there. But that will only happen if your heart is moved to see people of a different color, of a different background, come into the relationship. So what would it take for you in closing to intentionally walk across the room whatever room you're in this week, and spot someone different from you, and imagine in going up and befriending them because Jesus has changed your life, not because you will correct anybody, not because you have more right answers than anyone, but just because you have Jesus, and Jesus will save people. And for the sake of the gospel, Jesus walked across the room to us. What would it take for us to be the church that continues to do so? It thrills my heart every weekend, every Sunday to see people of all backgrounds show up here. But are we welcoming to everyone? Are we receiving everyone, no matter what the stripe or the color, pointing them to Jesus, letting God's spirit change them, to see them molded into the image of Christ, and to see some of the things not change, because some things don't change. (laughs) Many things do change. The spiritual Moral things change, but our culture, our background, it's a beautiful thing when all tongues, when all tribes will one day stand before Jesus and sing in the name of Jesus. He is Lord of Lord. He is King of Kings. I want that to happen here. We don't have to wait for revelation to happen in heaven. All of the nations can be represented in this room, worshiping God as brothers and sisters, because there is one Lord, there is one Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you, if you don't know that, if you don't know him, that's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why I preach. That's why I share God's message is that you would know. That's why all those people are baptized so that you would know there is hope in the world today. It may not feel like a lot of hope. You may be here. There may be a lot of hopelessness. There may be confusion, maybe tension and, and trouble, maybe transition in your life. I get all that. But I'm here to say that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he went to a cross and died for your brokenness, your sins, your dysfunction, what you've tried hard to fix and you can't. You don't have the power to do it. Jesus can do it. He will put his spirit inside of you. You will have a father that loves you dearly and you will be in a relationship with God in a relationship with a bunch of broken, mixed up, mixed up people that love Jesus too, that are walking on the journey. And together we are called the body of Christ. We're the family of Jesus on the earth. And when we bind together one another and love one another in this way, we show up and I believe there will be great joy in Hillsborough and in Washington County and whatever community you live in. 
So pray with me. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. I thank you for the cross because it's a constant reminder that death is required to cover. The blood must cover sin. And we could never do it, but you did it for us in Jesus. He died for us. He bore our sins. He bore the curse. And now when we believe in him and receive this truth, we become a follower, a son, a daughter of Jesus. If there's anyone today that hasn't done that yet, Lord, that is step one for every issue. Coming to you, receiving forgiveness, receiving new life. And in doing so, we get a new family. Father, move in our hearts. If you're here and you've not received that, I just want to offer a simple prayer. It's not by words. They're not magical or mystical. But your heart could express to God a simple truth. That you want to love him and know him. But that your sin has separated you from God. But more than that, Jesus has covered it. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your love for me. You've not given up on me. Even in my brokenness. Even in my pain. Even in my rebellion and my sin. You sent Jesus to save me. And so on the cross... Jesus paid for my sins. And I believe and I receive Jesus as my Lord. He's my boss. As my Savior, He's my forgiver. I receive your Holy Spirit and I receive you as my Father. Make me more like you. Father God, I thank you for this church. We're not a perfect church. We've got a lot of problems, we've got a lot of issues. Um, but we, we just want to follow you, Jesus. Show us how to do it. Show us how to preach the gospel in every way possible and leave the results up to you. We pray in your name. Amen.